book of James. We're in chapter one and our core kids are dismissed right now. And if you will remain standing for the reading of the word, that would be great. James chapter one. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 12. Hmm. They're ready for core kids. I hope core kids are ready for them. <laughs> Amen. They're like, yes, yes, we're here. All right. James chapter 1, verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. But the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. It, its, flowers falls, its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation or trials or testing. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Lord, thank you for your word that is truth. Thank you for your word that sets us free. Thank you for your word that illuminates our hearts and changes our lives, Lord God. Today, we come to you as your sons and as your daughters. And we ask you, Lord, to speak to us, to give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. We pray that you would be glorified in these next few moments. And I ask you, Lord God, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of it. We thank you for this, and we pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, would you just hold your hand up, and the ushers will get you one. Just hold it up there until they bring it to you. Um, as they're handing those out, as always, it is very important to me that you have an outline so you can follow along with me, so you can take notes, you can answer questions. And right now would be a great time for you to connect with someone that you want to help them grow in their faith because we're starting a new series in the book of James, and so you can walk with them right through a book of the New Testament and give them some encouragement, some challenges, and help them to grow in that. Uh, for those of you that are following along in our 365-day Bible reading challenge, I hope that you are, and we are on, we, today is day 127, and we are in 2 Chronicles chapters 10 through 12. That's the reading for today, so I hope that you're following along in that, and um, the, the, la the last little announcement I want to make is something that I'm very excited about, and it is this Wednesday, I will be starting a new Believers class, and so for those of you that have recently come to faith in Christ, 
or for those of you who feel like, man, you know, I just, I kind of, you know, I, I, I need some foundational help in my life as a Christian. This class is perfect for you. Um, there is a sign-up sheet in the lobby. I'll be in the lobby shaking hands. I won't be there to talk to you about it. But if you would just sign up, we were going to start it last week, but we're actually going to start it this week. And so it's a 13-week study. We're going to just walk through a book on, for new believers, and it's going to be a very encouraging time for those of you that need that foundation in your life. And so I encourage you to sign up for that if you are interested in it. And so we are in the book of James. We are starting a new series, and the series is called Testify. And the book of James is one, just to give you a little bit of background in it, it is a book that is written by the brother of Jesus. And for those of you that don't know, Jesus' brother did not believe in him while Jesus was on the earth. James did not come to faith in Christ until after Jesus rose from the grave. And so very important to realize that. Also, James was one of the main leaders in the Jerusalem church. And probably this book was written. This is one of the oldest books in the New Testament as far as historically. And this book was written uh, around the time, they think, around Acts chapter 12. And so Acts chapter 12, if you think back, you don't have to turn there right now. But if you think back to Acts chapter 12, the second person was martyred here. He was martyred by... Um, by, by his head being cut off. His name is James, the brother of John, so not the James that wrote this book. He's beheaded. They, they um, arrest Peter because it was pleasing to the people, and so Herod, who was the king at that time, he decided that he was going to just start martyring and start killing all of these Christians, so especially the leaders. And so they arrest Peter. Peter gets out miraculously, and so on and so forth goes the story. Herod, by the end of the chapter, he ends up dying. Nonetheless, this church was persecuted, and so they were. he was writing to encourage the the church that was scattered, the Jewish church, the beginning uh, or, the, or the first church, he was, he was um, writing them to encourage them. And so what we find here is that James makes it clear that faith without works is dead. In other words, your faith saves you, but your saving faith should be, uh, is only considered genuine and it must, be con it must be accompanied by works. And what works are we talking about? Obedience to the commands of God. And so I'll say up front, as we go through the book of James, this is going to be the next, you know, 11, 12 weeks that we're together in this book. Uh, it's going to be uncomfortable because the reality is you can't be in James and not feel like, ooh. I'm just saying, I'm just forewarning you. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to intentionally try to offend anyone. I'm just going to preach you the scriptures. And as we do that, you're going to be challenged. Your, your faith is going to be challenged. And we're going to, you know, you're going to have to wrestle with some things and look at some stuff that is here that the scripture is talking about. But just to think about this, as you're reading through James, and I, and I do encourage you to do this. As we're in this series, read ahead. Read through James. You know, I challenged the, uh, those in the first service. I said, you know, read the book of James once a week. You know, it's five chapters. Read one, you know, Monday, Monday through Friday. Read a chapter. Just kind of go through it. And then as I'm preaching through it, hopefully some questions that you have will be answered and you'll be able to walk through that and have a real good familiarity with the book of James. And so um, as you read through it, though, you're going to discover a few things that these Jewish Christians were having some problems in their personal lives and in their church fellowship. For one thing, they were going through, uh, through difficult testing. They were also facing temptation to sin. Some of the believers were um, catering to the rich while others were being robbed by the rich. Church members were competing for offices in the church, particularly the teaching offices. One of the major problems in the church was a failure on the part of many to live what they, what, what they professed to believe. Furthermore, the tongue was a serious problem, even to the point of creating wars and divisions in the assembly. Worldliness was another problem. Some of the members were disobeying God's word and were sick physically because of it because of it and some were straying away from the Lord and the church so that's the book of James does it sound familiar it should 
because that's the church today. I want, you to, I want you to realize James was written, he was, he was one of the first books that was written of the New Testament, and he almost got kicked out. And what I mean by he, that the book of James, almost didn't make it in the Bible. And it is because it is such a challenging book, and, it, and if you read it the wrong way, it would seem that he is contradicting the Apostle Paul when he starts talking about living your faith out. And so we're going to look at that and, and, and as we get together, and you'll see there's no contradiction. It's a complementarian communication. But James is here, and, 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 and what I want you to realize is about 40 years, maybe 50, you know, 40, 50 years, depending on your time, 40 to 50 years after the upper room experience that we see in the book of Acts is when the book of James is written. And I want you to realize that that close to that time, this is what the church looked like. And can I tell you something? The church will look like this until Jesus returns. We will continue to struggle with all of these things that we're going to look at here, but we have to work through them. And so when we look at the book of James, what we find is that the book of James can be seen. And we'll look at this as we continue on in this Testify series. And so look at your outline with me. We live in a, in a culture where authenticity is valued. Would you agree with that? We live in that culture, right? Keep it real. That's like the, you know, that, that, that's something that everybody wants. Whether you're saved, whether you're unsaved, you want people to just keep it real, right? I mean, at least that's what they say. Until you keep it real, and then it's a different story. But nonetheless, that's another topic, another preaching. But for today, we're just going to stick with the idea that people want you to keep it real. If you, if you think about this, many would-be Christians have rejected the church or organized religion for a lack of authenticity. I remember when I gave my testimony on Easter Sunday, and I was sharing that I joined the hypocrites club, right? When I became a Christian, I joined this club of people that are struggling to live for Jesus, and yet sometimes their lives don't exactly line up with the Scripture perfectly. We will have moments in our lives, and it should be moments. It should not be like it should be the it should not be the norm for us, right? Like we shouldn't live in a manner that does not bring glory to God every day of the week, right? Like you shouldn't be dropping f bombs every day. You shouldn't be cursing people out every day, right? You shouldn't be pounding them down every day at all. But anyway. Christianity is supposed to reflect the work of Christ. But here's the reality. The reality is that we all struggle. We all battle. We all have those moments where we fall short. And so people call you a hypocrite because you know what? Sadly, people see you in those moments when you're down. But we know that Though a righteous man falls seven times, the Lord will let him what? Get back up. God will bring him back up. And so we know this, and so we can walk with the Lord. But all that being said, we need to be authentic. The hard truth is this, that, that, that the authenticity of our faith, this is the second paragraph, is most clearly seen in the midst of various trials we go through. The reality is a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. When you look at the Bible, right, you see um, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is speaking. And so that, 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 that line right there, this, this is the underlying thought for the whole Testify series in the book of James. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. It's not real. It's not authentic. If it can't be tested, it's just like a ring. If you, have a, if you have a gold, silver, white gold, whatever ring, if you take that ring and you put it to the fire and it melts and you don't see the gold come out, guess what? It wasn't real. That's, I, don't care how, I don't care who gave it to you. I don't care who bought it for you. I don't care the sentiment that is attached to it. If the right thing doesn't come up during the time of testing, it wasn't real. 
And it's the same thing that James is communicating. And so Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is speaking, and I just want you to think about this. He's speaking of the sower, and he's talking to, he's talking to the people that are there, and he said there was a sower who went out to sow seed, and some fell by the wayside, some fell on the shallow ground, some fell among the thorns, and some fell on good ground. And his disciples asked him, what did you mean by this parable? And he said, if you understand this parable, you will understand all other parables. And his whole thing was, he said, the first one that fell, it fell among the, or, or it fell by the wayside, and the birds came and ate it up. And what did he say? He said that Satan stole the word. And so those are people that you preach the gospel to, that, that hear the word of God preach, and they walk away like they never even heard it. It's like, you don't even understand. How on earth did you just hear everything I just said? That you, that Jesus came, that you are God's enemy, that if you die in your sin, you are going to hell, and that there is one remedy, and that is Jesus Christ alone, and he is the only hope, and that person walks away like, well, I don't care. I'm good. Like, that's not even, okay, so that's that one. But then there's these other three places, right? And so I want you to get this. The, the first place among the shallow ground, the scripture says what? He, when Jesus is explaining this, he said, this is someone who receives the word immediately with great joy. Like, yes, I want that Jesus. Oh, I do not want to go to hell. No, no, no. I want to go to heaven. That's the Jesus I want. I want the Jesus that's going to fix my whole life. And then what does he say? He said, when persecution because of the word comes, what happens? They fall away, right? They, they, they dies. It withers. That's what the sun raining down. And so our faith is going to be tested by what? Persecution. Do you believe the word of God? This is, this is the testing that comes to our lives as a Christian. And then the other one, it said it fell among the thorns. And he says, well, what happens here is that those are the ones that they accepted the word of God. It started to grow. And then what happens? The scripture says that the cares of this world choked out the life of that word and it died. We're all going to be tested the same way. How many of y'all got cares in this world? Hello? How many of y'all got some bills you got to pay? That's everybody in the room. Hello. Right? How many of y'all got are thinking about Monday tomorrow? You're so excited about Monday. You're like, amen. I just can't wait to wake up tomorrow. Glory to God. You're thinking about the cup of coffee tomorrow for those of you coffee drinks. That's what you're thinking about. You're like, can Monday not come? Glory to God. Can we just stay here worshiping? Oh, praise the name. Right? I, I know. I know. I, but anyway, we all have cares. Right? We're all going to be tested with the cares of this life. All of us are going to be tested. The question is, are those cares going to consume us to the point that we turn away from Christ? Or will we pass the test and come to that third place or the fourth ground? The fourth ground, it said that was good ground. And some bore 30, 40, 60, 100%. Some of them bore different levels of fruit. But nonetheless, they came to maturity. Say maturity. However you want to say that. Say it. Say it. Whatever, maturity, maturity, whatever. I'm going to say maturity today. Next week I'll say maturity. Maybe I'll switch it up throughout the message just for you. But nonetheless, the reality is that it came to maturity. It came to maturing the, 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 the seed that went in. It gave life amidst persecution, amidst all of the cares of this world. It bore fruit. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And so... Third paragraph, the book of James can be seen as a series of tests. That's why the title of the series is Testify. That testify of the authenticity of our faith as God matures us. Every test we endure testifies to the power of the gospel and the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. We must commit to testifying as authentic witnesses while under trial. 
from the day we put our faith in Christ to the day we breathe our last, we are under trial. Understand this. We are under trial. Persecution comes, trying our faith. Cares of this world come, trying our faith. Situations arise, trying our faith. From this day to this day, we are under trial, always being called to do what? Bear witness to who our God is. Bear witness to the authenticity of our faith, to testify of who God is and what he's done for us. And so here's the big idea that I want you to get. The testing of our faith produces fruit and exposes the roots of our faith. Let me give you all time to write. I didn't give first service service time to write. I expect them to be repeating after me while they're writing. And I learned people can't write and talk at the same time. Amen. The testing of our faith produces fruit and exposes the roots of our faith. The testing of our faith, it shows fruit. It brings out the fruit. I've given you the analogy that my father gave me in the past about the sponge, right? You take a sponge and you look at that sponge and it looks like it's just a sponge. But the moment you grab that sponge and you squeeze that sponge, that is when you find out what that sponge is holding. The same thing in our lives. If it's soapy water in that sponge, guess what? That's going to come out. If you just cleaned up Coke with that sponge, guess what? You're going to see the Coke is going to come out. Whatever it is, if it's clean water, that's what's going to come out. It's the same thing. The testing of our faith produces fruit, and it exposes the roots of our faith. Is our faith rooted in the gospel? Is our faith rooted in Christ, or is it rooted in something else? Is it rooted in emotionalism? Is it rooted in our feelings? Is it, is it rooted in our culture? Is it rooted in what we think or who we think God is, or is it rooted in what what the scriptures say about our God. That's what the testing of our faith does. And so the first thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the testing of our faith, testing of our faith should, be accepted should be accepted with joy. With joy. The testing of our faith should be accepted with joy. And look what he says here in verse 2 to 4. And I want you to, I want you to get this because verses 2 to 4 are very important, right? Very important because I believe that these are the foundational scriptures for the entire book of James. It's all about this testing of our faith, right? And so for those of you that have been here through some of the series that we do in different books, I always try to give you a memory verse. And so this right here, these three verses are our memory verse for the book of James. So starting next week, we will repeat this together. Before we start the sermon, we're going to repeat this. And so I hope that you'll memorize it and I'll challenge you as we get along in the, in the series to see if anyone is memorized and they want to come and lead us in this. But look at what James says in verses 2 through 4. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing, say the testing. That's the title of the message this morning. The testing, the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The testing of our faith should be accepted with joy. I was watching Criminal Minds uh, the other day, and as we're watching that, you know, they always give like some deep quote, like at some point after they show you the intro to the program, for those of you that have watched it, and then after that, then they give you some, you know, deep philosophical quote. I think they quoted Jesus once or twice, and, you know, they always quote someone. And so I heard this quote, and I, I actually made it my own by accident, and then I looked it up just to make sure that I had it right. And so I'm going to read you what, what I thought it was, and then I'm going to read, read, read it to you what it actually was. It says, life can only be understood from the future, but must be lived in the present. That was my interpretation of what I heard. This is the actual quote. Life can only be understood backwards, but must be lived forward. And so this is some Danish philosopher, and so I, I said, I, I need you to understand this. Say this with me. Say, all truth, all truth is, God's truth. is God's truth. It doesn't matter who says it, Okay. 
If it's true, it's true. Now, you need to check out the context of the truth, right? Because Satan said some true things in the Garden of Eden. He didn't tell the whole truth. Are you here? But there's truth in this. And, what, and when we look at this, if you think about this, life can only be understood from the future. It can only be understood after. It can only, when you stand over here, what do you mean by this? Well, think about this. How, how many of y'all right now can look back at your life and you can understand some things that you went through? On this side, on this side over here. Now, when you were over there, you didn't understand. You were like a little baby. Why, 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 why? Right? You know, when kids, they get to a certain age, they just know how to ask why. For, some, for, for us, as we grow into maturity, hello, as we grow into this, you know what happens is we, we, we start asking why, why, why. And, and, we're, and, and then we get a little bit more mature and we stop asking why so much. You might think why. But the point of the matter is when we were over here on the side of this thing, we didn't, we, we didn't understand why we were going through it. But over here, over here we understood it. And that's why the apostle, he calls us to count it all joy. Counting is an accounting word, right? It, it, it's a word that has to do with how, how, how you value things. And so he says, count it all joy. Right away, what is he doing? He's calling us to look at our maturity level. That's what he's doing. He's saying, how mature are you? Because here's what we realize is that when we're walking through trials, are we whining? Are we complaining? Are we, are, are we questioning? Are we going through that? Or are we counting it all joy? Scripture says to count it all joy. And I want you to get this. To count it all joy does not mean that it doesn't hurt. Are you here? It doesn't mean you ignore the pain. Because let me tell you something. You can have tears streaming down your eyes while you're counting it, counting it all joy. You can be going through the biggest heartache in your life, and yet you are counting it all joy. Not because the pain is unreal, but because your Savior is realer than that pain. Because the one who redeemed you is greater than the trial that you may be going through or the difficulty you may be experiencing in your life. That's how you count it all joy. The reality is that you will never be able to count it all joy when you're being tested in all kinds of ways unless you have a biblical understanding of who God is and how God works. We will never, you will never count it all joy unless you have a biblical understanding that God is good. That God is love, that God is gracious, that God is kind, that God is holy, that he is all wise, that he is all knowing, that he is there even when you don't feel like he's there. That he knows best even when it doesn't seem that way. See, when we, when we have a biblical understanding of who God is, that he is sovereign, he reigns, he is seated on a throne. He is not shaken by the news that you received when you went to the doctor. He's not shaken by the pink slip that you received when they told you you had to go. He is not shaken when you came to understand situations that were going on in your family. He's not shaken by any of that. He remains the same God constant and he's walking with you through it all. And when we understand that he works through all of those things, when we understand that through all of that, then I can count it all joy. Then I can say, God, man, you, you, know, you know what, Lord? I, I don't understand why I'm going through this, but I know who's walking through it with me. I know who's not leaving me nor forsaking me. I know who is the one that's going to be with me. No matter where this trial leads, I know that it's all going to be for your glory. So there's a guy, he was, he was praying and he was asking the Lord. And I want you to understand this because some of you may have heard this before. We're going to do a little, a little, a little um, survey here real quick. How many of you have ever been told, don't pray for patience because it's going to bring trials? Some of y'all are lying too, but it's okay. You just want to raise your hand. It's okay. I'm, I'm okay with that. Messing up my survey. But here's the thing. I really don't care. 
We've all heard the principle whether we've been told that. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter whether you pray or not. Hardship's coming. Prayer, hey, God, bring it. It does, does not matter. You want to know why? Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. What does it say? It says, for we know all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, that he might be Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Are you here? Listen to me. You have been predestined. Say predestined. We love that word here. Amen. Predestined. For what? You and I have been predestined in Christ to become more like Christ. So listen, whether you like it or not, guess what? You're going to have to become patient. You want to know why? Because God is patient. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Right. Patience. So whether you want to be patient or not, guess what? God says you need to be patient. There's a guy, he prays, he's like, God, I really want to be patient. I need you to give me patience. And he says, you know, I want to be more self-controlled in this area of my life. So the next morning he gets up late, he misses his train. So he is on the platform pacing back and forth for an hour complaining, God, I can't believe this. He's just going off and off about this. And then all of a sudden the train gets there, sits on the train. He's like, the Lord gave me an hour to exercise and grow in patience. And all I did was exercise my impatience. This is us. Can I tell you something? You need to understand something. You, 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 you got to get this. That you and I cannot become what God wants us to become without hardship. You know, for those of you that work out or those of you that would like to work out or something like that, um, I'm going to tell you why you don't want to work out. It is because of this thing. It's called time under tension. Time under tension. The only way that you get results working out is through time under tension. In other words, you've got to lift weights for a while. You've got to work your muscles till they are in pain. Hello. If you want to see results, you can't just walk. You know, some people, they walk in the gym. They're looking all cute when they walk in, you know. They walk out looking the same cute. You know they didn't do nothing, right? <laughs> now, you have the rest of us that are trying to get some serious, you know, work in, and we walk in the gym, and we walk out. We look like we just went through a transformation. Hello, somebody. Like an exorcism just happened or something like that. I mean, we, I'm just saying, like, see, like, so like <laughs> because what? Because of time under tension. And so if you want results, you have to experience this time under tension. It's the same thing spiritually. It doesn't change. If you want results, it's going to have to be time under tension for you to see the results, to see that, man, you know what? I, was, I wasn't as patient 10 years ago as I am today. I wasn't as joyful 10 years ago as I am today. There should be some progress in your life. And you know how that happens? It happens through trials. I'll say this, and we'll move on to the next point. We have to understand that we are God's scattered people, not God's sheltered people. He was writing to who? He was writing to the Jews of the dispersion or the dispersia. He was writing to those who were scattered Jews because of the persecution. And so we have to realize that. Now listen, we're scattered. We're not sheltered. We're going to go through trials. And so that doesn't mean we look for trials. That means that we endure them with joy. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is to say the testing of our faith, Requires wisdom, no matter our social status. 
requires wisdom no matter our social status. And so let's read from verse 5 to verse 11. Look what it says. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Verse 9 goes on to say, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. And so what is James doing here? He's telling us, number one, that no matter what we are going through in life, when we're going through trials, we need wisdom. And that is irrelevant to the fact whether we are rich or whether we are poor. What he's saying to us is he's saying, look, some people think that, you know, I heard, I heard one preacher say this one time. He said that faith moves heaven, but money moves the earth. Okay? So what he was saying is he's saying, you know, you, you, know, you can move heaven, whatever. You, you, you get the point of what he was trying to say. So there is some, there is some truth to that. You know, you can, you, you, like right now, I want to go and buy a new building, right, for us as a church. I can't just do that, but hey, man, I have faith. I'm going to pay with this by faith right now. They're going to look at me like I'm crazy. But now if I walk in there, you know, from a check from Pastor Aldo, <laughs> who decided he was just going to hook us up, you know, he's like, yo, bro, let me just drop a million on you right quick. Amen. See, I'm speaking that now. I'm still <laughs> we were just not that church. But listen, listen. But ultimately, if I walk in there, then, I, then, then things are going to happen because I have this money in my pocket, right? And so here's the thing, though. We as Christians, we start to think the same stuff. Well, if I have money, then, you know, I can, I can take care of everything. I don't need anyone. I have a job. I'm okay. I don't need anyone. I have, you know, all of this experience. I don't need anything. Hold on a second. That's a sign of immaturity. Hello. Because you're not willing to ask God for wisdom. And the poor person, they think sometimes that they are in some way, shape, or form less fortunate. But, but James is saying, hey, man, you should be glorying in God in your exaltation. That you realize this, that at the place of trial, listen, the ground is level. Everybody goes through trials, and everybody needs wisdom. Everybody needs wisdom. And so that's the question. Are we seeking him for his wisdom? Or are we trying to depend on ourselves? Are we leaning upon our own understanding to do what we want to do, to try to, to try to execute or experience what we want to experience? The truth of the matter is, is that we have to be those who are seeking him for wisdom in the midst of whatever trial that we're seeking and seeing that God gives it to us without what? He doesn't, he doesn't have, a, he's not a respectable person. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, no matter what, as long as you come to him with a pure heart. Asking God for wisdom, again, is rooted in understanding of who God is and demonstrative of our trust in him. So the question is, do you really trust him? Do you really trust him? Or are you seeking him? And I've, and I've told you all this before. You know, do you come to God with your list of things that you got to get done, with your problems or your situations, and with an idea of how you think they should get done? And then you sit down like you're really, you know, like I know me, you know, I'm very spiritual, right? Very spiritual. Very, very spiritual. Um, I come to God. I get down. I'm like, God, this is our time for prayer. Where, you know, I, I look at the clock. Okay, I have an hour that I can come seek. I'm very spiritual. I told you. So I'm seeking God. I'm like, Lord, I, this is our time. Five minutes in, you know, because I start off real spiritual. I'm in worship, and I'm like, God, I give you glory. I give you praise. I feel his peace. And then all of a sudden, I come down, and I start thinking about the situation. I'm like, okay, God, I need, to, I need, I need your guidance on this situation. And as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden, I get real quiet because the Bible says to be still and know that I'm God. I'm real spiritual. I'm telling you all this. Y'all don't understand what I'm trying to I'm trying to tell you how spiritual I am. 
five minutes in, and I'm already being still. And then suddenly, I start to think pros, cons, how could this work this way, that way? I'm, I'm still being still, but my mind. And five minutes later, I get up with the answer, and I go try to do it. Wait a second, what happened to the hour with God? I'm not that spiritual, hello. I'm just like everyone else. I come to him, and I think, I want your answer, but then I figure it out, and then I'm like, I'm going to go do my thing. Hold on a second. Am I depending on the wisdom of God, or am I just thinking, well, this seems best for me? Listen, best for me and best for you is not always God's wisdom. What seems best to us is not always God's wisdom. It's seeking him and pursuing him. And I want you to get this. We cannot waver in our faith. That's what he says here. He says that we, that we are to ask in faith, not wavering, right? For you that waver, there's like a waver when it's tossed to and fro. Back. And, and so he's, he's speaking to us. He's saying, look, this is what happened. That man should not think that he receives anything from the Lord because he is double-minded. I want God's wisdom, but I want it my way. And here's what I want you to get, is that when you and I trust God, God will always give us the wisdom necessary to get through what we need to get through, but he may, not, he may not always tell us what we want to hear. Are you hearing me? He will always give us the wisdom we need. There's no question about that. But he may not always answer the questions we want answered. He may not always tell us the why to what we're going through. He may just tell us how we get through it. So we have to think about that when we're asking him for his wisdom. Number three, say this with me. The testing of our faith can only be endured with an eternal focus. The testing of our faith can only be endured with eternal focus. I want you to see this in verse 12. It says, blessed is the man. And so the book of Proverbs, uh, uh, the, the book of James is reminiscent of the book of Proverbs. But also this particular portion here brings us back to Jesus when he was in the Sermon on the Mount. And he went through this thing called the Beatitudes. And he was saying, blessed are they, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he went through all of these different blessings, right? And what he was saying is happy are they right he was communicating like this is the state this is how you want to be and so James does the same thing here and he says blessed is the man who endureth temptation or testing for when he has been approved say been approved he will receive the crown of life say crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him say love him and so what we realize is, like I said, from the beginning to the end of our days, we are on trial. We are going through testing. We are walking through test after test in our lives. And our faith is being proven. Our faith is being shown. We are testifying of our faith in God. That's what's happening. And so what, what, what James is saying here, he's saying, blessed is the one who endures temptation. The promise of the crown of life is one that we are comforted by in our trials. Are you here? Did you see, you see what he says there? He says, who, was, who, who, who the Lord has promised, right? That's what he said. Whom the Lord has promised to those who love him. Has promised to those who love. This is a promise, this crown of life. This, is, this crown of life is speaking of eternal life. It's not talking about, I went through one trial that lasted three years, 10 years, 15 years. It's talking about at the end, at the end of all of this, at the end of my days, at the end of my life, after I have gone through this test of my life that's been on this earth, at that point, I received this crown of life. And he says, who receives this crown of life? He says, the ones that love him. Say that again. Say, love him. love him. When we talk about we are committed to loving God, why is that foundational? 
Because everything that we are going to do for God that is going to endure is going to be rooted in what? That's it. Our love for God that is rooted in what? God's love for us. See, I endure because I understand the gospel. I endure because I don't just believe some things, but I realize that I really could not in any way, shape, or form save myself. That I can never be good enough to make God happy apart from putting my faith in Jesus. Those, that, that's the works of God, is it not? I mean, that's what Jesus said. The works of God is to believe in the one who was sent. And so I put my faith in Christ, and that is the pleasing and honorable to him. And that's what will keep me, what? Walking through the trials of life. Because when we look at this picture of this crown that is given, this crown of life, it's the picture of these, Greek, of these Greek athletes. And at the end of them running the race that they were running, at the end of the race, the person who won the race, they got this crown that was like a wreath. And they received, it wasn't a gold crown. It wasn't a, you know, um, plaque or something like that. It was, a, it was this crown that was, you know, it, it was a wreath. And that, that's what they got. And this is the picture of this crown, that we're looking forward to this crown that Jesus has promised us because salvation is of the Lord. And so as I'm closing, I want you to think about this. I want you to understand, this is not speaking of us earning our salvation. But it is the testifying of the genuineness of our salvation. Remember the sower? Four grounds, one of them the, the enemy stole away, the other two seemed like, and the third one was the actual one that bore fruit. There was a testing that went on. But here's what I want you to get when you think about this. Enduring faith is real, and real faith is rewarded faith. Real faith is rewarded faith. And so listen. I don't know where you are right now in your life, but here's my closing question for you. I want you to think about this. Are you living for the crown of life or are you living for the comforts of life? Are you living for the crown of life or are you living for the comforts of life? Are you living for something that is beyond here, that is beyond these days? That you know what, in this life, I may not have the job that I wanted. I may never get the paycheck that I want. I may never have the spouse that I want. Hello. You should work on being the spouse that you should be. Amen. But anyway, I'm just saying, right? Just a thought. But here's the thing. You may never have the kids that you want. I'm sorry, parents. I know you thought that someday they were going to be. They may never be. I'm, I'm, I, I hate to say that. It's just a reality, and if you're one of those kids that's not, then get right. Hello. Act right. Glory to God. Stop being a knucklehead. But anyway, listen, listen. At the end of the day, I mean, we all, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're all, we have, to, we have to make that, am I living for the comforts of this life? Am I living, listen, do I, do I count it all joy when I'm uncomfortable? That's the, that's, that's the question here. Do I count it all joy? When I don't have every single thing that I have because I know that my good, good father is working all things for my good. That I know that even though it's painful, even though it hurts, even though I don't understand, he is working his character in me. Am I living for the crown of life or am I living for the comforts of life? And here's the beauty of it is that Jesus died so that we could live for the crown of life and for those days and those moments, those seasons that we may find ourselves that we're struggling with some stuff like we see here in the, in, in the book of James, 
that we're struggling with worldliness, we're struggling with our tongue, we're struggling with whatever it is that we're struggling with. We're struggling with going through these trials. We, when we see ourselves struggling in there, that's the reason why the gospel is so important because that's what gives us the right to come back to the Father and say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for living for the comforts of this life instead of the crown that is life. I asked, I asked Eric, Minister Eric here, to, to do this song that we did on Easter Sunday. And the reason why I asked him to do it is because as I was praying about this series, I had already done the title for the series um, last year when I was going through the preaching calendar for this year. And I, and I called the series Proof, Proof Series. But as we were singing this song, at the end of the song, it's Chainbreaker. And at the end of the song, there is a portion where it says, if you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. And I was driving with Josiah, and he gets real crazy on that part. And he's like, somebody testify, testify, testify. And I was like, that's what this series needs to be called. Testify. Come on now. Because that's what we're supposed to do. So as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And as we sing this song and we worship our great king, I want you to just let that, let that question resonate in your heart. Are you living? Are you living? for the crown of life or are you living for the comforts of life and if you say God I, I want to live for that crown of life today's that opportunity for you to put your faith in him for you to trust him you say God here I am for you to repent if you haven't been putting your faith and your trust in him we can do that today and you can trust him let's worship him together and then I'll pray again if you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles if you've been hearing the same old voice of the same trying to fill the same old holes inside there's a better life there's a better life if you got pain he's a pain taker if you feel lost he's a way maker if you need freedom save it He's a prison-shaking Savior. He's not chased. He's a chain-breaker. We've all searched for the light of day in the break of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old life. We've all run the things we know they just ain't right. It's a better life, it's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom to save it, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain.
comforts of this life. Lord, and I pray for those that are going through difficulty, that are going through trials of their faith right now that are intense, Lord God. I pray that you would give them the strength to count it all joy, to know that you are with them, that you have not forsaken them. I pray for those, Lord God, of us that know others who are going through trial, who are going through testing of their faith in a great way. May you give us the grace to speak into their lives, Lord God, your words that will bring them hope. Your words that can bring them peace. Your words that will bring them deliverance, God. And Father, I pray for anyone in this place that may not know you today. God, may they commit their hearts. May they call upon you as God of heaven. May they cry out to you as the only Savior. And may they trust you today with all of their life. Father, we thank you for this, and we pray this in the good name of Jesus. Everyone said amen. 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 Come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy. He is worthy. Amen.